Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified. And with the last, very last uh, session of the year, and we are so looking forward to 2022, I think everyone will agree with me that 2021 hasn't been exactly a banner year, or maybe it's been a banner year in other ways, but uh, anyway, we're almost done with 2021 and off to a new start. So today, I am really happy to welcome Doug Winston of Aegis Investigations out of Laguna Beach, California. Doug has many stories to tell you, and uh, welcome, Doug. I want you to start out with uh, telling who you are and how you got where you are. Well, good morning, Francie. Thank you. Um, Actually, I started back in New York as a Pinkerton's financial crimes investigator back in 1967, and I actually walked through the doors of their offices down at 100 Church Street and decided at the tender age that I was at that I wanted to become a private investigator. And what I did, and it was very interesting. I, I met with a gentleman. He said, well, you'll have to take a test. And I took this 150 question test and apparently passed it because he said to me, yes, Um, you can become an investigator for our firm. And that was the beginning of a career that has now lasted 54 years um, in July of uh, this year. And I would not ever be doing anything else. Um, So it's worked rather well for me, I will say that. Well, you know, anybody that's been a private investigator knows, of course, who Pinkerton is. <laughs> Pinkerton was the first private investigation agency in the United States, and uh, so it's it has a, a long history. I know. I actually worked with them in several of their offices on the East Coast until, oh, somewhere around 1980 when another... Pinkerton's investigator and I said, why don't we set up our own company? And <laughs> we did that. Actually, it was very funny because it's a, it's a good short story. We had just finished a surveillance up in um, Connecticut, as I remember. And we were sitting there talking about, why don't we do this? And it, within two hours, we had formed a new company, and it's it's worked really well. Um, I stayed on the East Coast for a while and then moved down to Florida in um, 1990 and then came out to California in 1993, but I, I enjoy what I do. I enjoy bringing home the justice to clients. I enjoy bringing home the bacon or brisket to the attorney clients and that they can give to their clients. And again, there's not anything I would rather do on the planet. Doug, why did you move to California? 
Actually, it's an interesting story. I did it for family. Um, I have a brother, and at the time, my mom and I were in Florida. She was getting older, and I spoke with my brother, and he said those magic words. Why don't you move out to California? You can do your business anywhere. And (laughs) so I did. And what's kind of interesting was... I did what I did when I had moved to Florida as well. I printed up some sheets, single sheets of paper, describing who I was and what I did, and I became a streetwalker. I walked the streets of Santa Ana and Irvine and Anaheim, and I walked into attorney's offices and said, Hi, do you need a private investigator? I've been doing it for a long time. And... I started to pick up work, and a little became more, and the more became more, and it's just progressed since then. You know, it's interesting you say that, because that's exactly what I did when I started out, and I don't Mm -hmm. know whether that happened to you, but it happened to me. I never marketed again. Once I did that that first uh, knocking on doors, I never... Had, ran an ad. I never marketed it at all. Is that what happened to you? It was that all is referral. exactly what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I have found that I have not ever needed a website. I don't do any marketing. I am actually at this point a hundred percent referral. And and I will knock wood. I have more work than I will ever ever need. It's, I'm very blessed in that regard. Um, I will tell you one of the things that I did, it it reminds me of a very early case I had with one of my attorney clients that I walked in the door at his office and the the words that came from him were, "Uh, there are no good investigators. And I said, (laughs) okay. And I said, well, why don't you try me out? And He said, okay, and I said, and I'll make it even better for you. If you don't like what I bring you back, you don't have to pay me. Mm -hmm. And he remembers that conversation. He's been a client of mine now for probably 26 years. But the first job that he gave me was one where other people had tried to do the work and weren't able to do it. And if there are investigators listening, I think they'll understand this. He gave me a service of process case Hmm. where his other PIs and process servers were not able to serve this defendant that lived in an apartment building in Orange County. And so I actually took the paperwork. I went to the apartment. It was a second-story apartment. And I got down on my knees in front of the door and I started scratching on the door (laughs) and going, meow, meow. And within two minutes, the defendant that was going to be served opened the door. She apparently must have looked through the um, (laughs) seahole and didn't see anybody figured it was a cat or a dog, opened it. I jumped up and said, hi, these are legal papers. You're being served <laughs> and walked away. And I think it, what's really interesting, Francie, is that I 
I am invited to this attorney's um, Christmas party every year, and he loves to tell that or have <laughs> me tell that story. And <laughs> <laughs> that is that is probably one of the <laughs> the most outrageous and creative ones I've ever heard. <laughs> but I will, but Francie, I will tell you it. And this is something for any investigator that's listening to hear. It's like, as a private investigator, out of the box, there is nothing wrong with out of the box. Right, right. And 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 I've continued to do that um, with all of the work that I do for corporate clients, for attorney clients, and. And I just, again, I love what I do. It's pretty obvious you love what you do. So, so uh, you got started, and were you, you're in Laguna uh, Beach mm-hmm. now. Is that where you started out, or were you someplace else in California? I was in Irvine for a little while, and then, and then came to Laguna Beach, and I have been here since 1996, and it's just... Um, it's it's a it's a nice area to work from. I can get to most anywhere. Probably ninety percent of my work is in Southern California. Although I've done work up north, and I, I actually renewed my license back in New Jersey um, several years ago because my kids are back in New Jersey and New York. And when I go back to see them, I still have, believe it or not, attorney clients that give me work. Mm-hmm. So I enjoy that, and it works fairly well. I was in Florida for three years. I did not ever renew that license, um, although I will tell you Florida is an interesting place for a PI to work. It's one of the most open, from a data standpoint, one of the most open states in the country. And Doug, you and I know each other through California Association of Licensed Investigators, and and I and I have to say I think that it that is joining and belonging to it and being active in a trade association for private investigators is probably the best thing anybody can ever do. Absolutely agree with you. I've been a Cali member since I believe 1993 when I came out here, and. I I enjoy not just the camaraderie, but um, being able to get information that I need from somebody that knows more than I do on a specific topic, and I do. I enjoy the Cali um, listserv. I, do, I use it a lot, and and works well. It's a, it's a good association, and the fact that they also network with both Cali in Florida and, and Cali in Texas gives me access to private investigators in other areas. Let me explain that network really quickly, uh, Doug, because sure. if you are a a member of one of those organizations, Valley, Tally, or Cali, you can join either one of the either one or both of the other associations at a reduced rate. So it gives you access not only to the training but to the uh, the listservs where you, where there's jobs posted and all kinds of things. So and networking as well. So um, it's a great process that one of our uh, former presidents of Kelly uh, started about several years ago. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. Yeah, it's interesting. I was um, when I was in Florida, 
one of the things that I enjoyed, and it's probably driven by my personality, was that I did, I actually did a CLE presentation for attorneys down in Florida, and I've done one out here at Chapman University a few years ago, but what I try to, I, I label it the care and feeding of your investigator. And it, it's interesting to be able to talk to a large number of attorneys and tell them, this is what a private investigator does, and somewhat this is what we can do, and somewhat this is what we can't do. And I think giving attorney or potential attorney clients that information super helpful because I'm sure, as you know, we interact closely with our attorney clients. Uh, absolutely. So, Doug, you have worked... Um so many interesting cases. I know uh, I would like you to share a couple of them, if you will, because they, um, I'm sure that uh, investigators and, and other people as well would find them very interesting. It's true. I, I, I do probably 90% of my work for, in civil cases for civil attorneys, but I also do... Um, criminal defense, and one of the things I joined as an associate is the DIA, the Defense Investigators Association, and I have gotten um, leads and works from that, but one of the cases that I took down in New Jersey, and this was back in 1986, uh, they turned into a movie, and the movie was called The Iceman. And it was the story of a guy that turned out to be the most prolific killer in history. And where he came up with the ice, where they came up with the name, the Iceman, super interesting. It's, um, it was just an interesting case that I worked for on and off for almost four years but what was interesting was that the day after they arrested him in Bergen County, New Jersey, the attorney that was going to represent him said to me, I need you to go interview him. And I wound up going down to the Bergen County jail and I met with a guy that was a head taller than me. And Francie, I will tell you, he had the coldest eyes of anybody that I have ever seen. And I think back about that now when they talk about killers and criminals having cold eyes. This was, it, it, was, it was incredible. In any event, I wound up interviewing him four different times, and they wound up convicting him. He was being charged with, I believe it was five murders, and they convicted him for two consecutive life sentences, as I remember, Somewhere about four years later, I wind up getting a call from him from Trenton State Prison, and he said, can you come down and talk to me? <laughs> and I was afraid because I said, why does he want to see me four years after being convicted? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I go down, and I meet with him, and it's interesting because in Trenton State Prison, they bring you into a, it's a little room 
with a table and three chairs and all of which are nailed to the ground. And he said, because of the son of Sam law, I can't write a book about my story. I want you to work with my wife and you can bring down a ghostwriter and I'll do the interviews, but I want to do a book to get money for my wife and my, my daughters. Hmm. And so I started working with the wife and she, I came to find out she was also talking with HBO and the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, I went to see a publisher in New York. It was one of the most most famous publishing companies in New York. And the gal said to me, I'd kill to get that book. So <laughs> she really said, do whatever you need to do. Um, but yeah, I want that book. Unfortunately, the wife went with HBO. And what's kind of interesting is that there are still on HBO three interviews that were done, two of them by a psychologist, I believe, the last one by a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist asked him during one of the interviews, about how many people do you really believe you killed? And he said, I think about 200. Hmm. And so, so Doug, was, let me, let me a, ask you a second. When, how much sure. did you know about him before you interviewed him the first time? Did you know the extent of the kind of a guy he was? What did you know? Well, it's very funny you say that because I have a page one copy of the New York Daily News of the day he was arrested. And I could send this to you. I think you'd get a kick out of it. It's in large letters. All it says is burger murders. And one of the reasons it said that, and I don't, you may or may not know this if you've seen the movie, but apparently besides shooting and stabbing people, he would go into a diner in New York And he would sit down next to his victim and he'd say, hey, can you get me the ketchup? And as the guy would reach over to get something, he would pour cyanide on his food, get up and walk away. Whoa. Or or as they showed it in the movie, he would walk into a party, um, pretend to kind of trip next to his victim and get cyanide on the victim. And so that was the first time that I had seen, and I saw that headline because I was a New York Daily News reader. I I apologize. But anyway, (laughs) um, I still have a copy of that newspaper, page one, called Burger Murders. I think what's also interesting... I'm sorry. ...is no, 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 quite all right. I think it's also interesting to know where his name was Richard Kuklinski. That was the name of the the, um, the guy. But where the um, name the Iceman came from was fascinating to me. Um, apparently, what happened just before he was arrested, they found a body in a plastic bag on the highway. 
in, it was just between New York and New Jersey, and it was brought up to the Rockland County coroner's office. And he was doing the autopsy, and when he got to the gentleman's heart, he found ice crystals. And he said, this guy wasn't just dumped out of a car, he's been frozen. And I don't know that they actually even talk about that in the movie. I, I can't remember. But um, that was where he got the name, the Iceman. Hmm. Because, because they had found ice crystals and he had taken other victims and put them in freezers in New Jersey and then eventually took them out and dumped them. So did Weird he just, case. were his victims just random? Just be- no, actually, in many cases, what had he was affiliated through his dad, I believe, with the mob in New Jersey, and he had set up a phony business to sell porn, and he would tell his victim, I've got a bunch of porn, if you bring me $10,000, $50,000, dollars i will meet you here, and we'll swap, and when he met his victims, he wound up shooting or stabbing the individual, grabbing the money, and walking away. And he did that numerous times. So his motive was was uh, financial? Mostly financial, but there were some cases, and I didn't get that deeply into that part of it, but there were some cases that were potentially mob-related. And again, not a, not a side of the um, sandbox I like to play in, so I didn't really look much at that. So back to my original question, uh, do you, did you have any concerns about interviewing him when the first time you went to, to talk to him? <laughs> um, yes. I did. I I was somewhat nervous, but I thought I, this is what I need to do. This is what my client's looking for. They want to find out whether they can get a retainer from him and and other things that that a, an attorney would want to know. So those are the things that I was prepared to ask and talk with him about, but. It's it's just if you were in front of this guy, it's it's he was one of the most scary individuals I've ever I've ever run into, and I've I've worked a lot of criminal defense cases, um, and this was probably the most scary. Well, besides the look in his eyes, or actually the the lack of a look in his eyes, I guess. Um, exactly. Was there anything he said that raised the, raised the hair on your arms? Or, or tell me about the well, interview. Well, no, because at that point he was in jail and this was the first time that he'd been arrested, to my knowledge. And he needed help and he actually... Um, asked me how I could help, and he talked about he talked a bit about um, having a bank account somewhere that he couldn't get access to, and he said, "If I give you the 
code numbers, can you get me the money because the attorney wants a hefty retainer? And I I knew that I clearly could not do that because you can't use ill-gotten gains um, to pay attorney fees. So um, I had to be sort of gentle with him and say, well, let me look into that. Let me see what I can do. And when I, when I walked away, I knew he was not going to be a happy boy. And yeah. that was not my... Uh, <laughs> I didn't want him to remember my name. So when I got that call four years later, I went, oh, crap, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny. So, did, so you said you interviewed him uh, several times. I think Was four, that during, for his times, case? As I remember, yeah, prior to his trial and, um, mm-hmm. and conviction. Did he ever confess to you? No, did not. Did not ever. Okay, so when you talked to him, when you talked to him, what did you talk about? Um, that one of the things the attorney could be looking at was trying to um, reduce some of the some of the charges. I mean, many of them were clear. I mean, murder, murder's murder. But the point is, um, you can get reductions if there was something else. In his case, there was nothing else. He clearly did murder for that purpose. One of the things that I did not find out about until I listened to the um, one of the um, psychiatrists' interview again, the psychiatrist asked him, do you remember the first killing? And he said, Yes, he said, I think I was 15, and I beat another kid to death with a stick. Wow. And that tells you what he was about at 15. And I, again, I didn't find that out until many, many years later when I listened to the um, HBO interviews. But they, if, if there's a an investigator out there that has an interest in criminal work and, and, and wants to see something of interest, those three interviews are still on HBO. All you need to do is, I think, put his name in or put in the Iceman, something like that. Interesting. But, you know what? There have been, Francie, there have been other cases that I love that were not of a criminal nature, and they are... They are things that make, I I will tell you, if you say to me, why do you like being a PI or love being a PI? It's because I believe that the best thing is where I can bring justice to my clients. Exactly. And in fact, for about 20 years, my email address was Doug at justice.com. And I have to tell you that domain name was owned by Thomson Reuter, which is the legal book publisher out of New York. And February of this year, they started sending out emails that we are sunsetting that division. It's called their Find Law Division. And if you have a justice.com email address, you need to get rid of it. And that was tough for me. <laughs> 
for a PI having justice.com as his email address was, was pretty neat. So I now am Doug at 100, 100, justice.com, which is close, but I, I would have loved to have kept the original. For sure. So what? Yes. tell us about a, a significant civil case that you worked on. I will. I, I was flying home from, if I remember right, I was flying home from California to New York to see the kids. And I, as you do many times, you're talking with your seat partner and talking about what you do for a living and everything. And the plane lands. We are standing up, ready, ready to leave our seats. And a gentleman older gentleman in back of me said, I couldn't help but hear you. Do you have a business card? I'd be interested in um, talking with you. And I, of course, gave him a business card, which what PI does not have 50 of them sitting in his pocket. Um, and about two months later, I get a call from him, and he said, do you remember? And I said, yes. He said, my wife and I are coming to Laguna Beach. We would like to talk to you. And I said, fine. Met them at a local Starbucks, and this is what intrigued me. He said, about 30 years ago, my daughter gave birth to a son out of wedlock, and I would like to know whether my grandson is a bum lying drunk in an alley or a U.S. senator. And that caught me, and I said, 30 years ago, wow. Mm. And I took on the case, and I wound up having to fly east to South Carolina, where the mom had gone to the Florence Crittenden home for unwed mothers and had given birth and then the baby was set up for adoption. And I will never forget, I met the director of the home and she was probably 80 or 85 years old when I met her. And she said, oh, 30 years ago, that's going to be downstairs in the archives. It's going to take me a couple of weeks. Hmm. And here I thought I would fly in, pick up the papers, and fly home. That didn't work. Right. Anyway, so two weeks later, I get a call from her office, and she said, we found them. Gave me the information involving the adoptive um, parents. And what's sort of interesting was there are some religion-based um organizations where you cannot get that information, although I do have access to that as well. But the point is, I, I wound up talking to the adoptive mother, and she said, yes, I did, but the young man died two weeks before his 21st birthday in a one-car accident. But if you would like to tell your clients to come and talk with me, be happy to do that. So, Francie, I fly back to South Carolina. I will never forget. They picked me up in a black Lincoln town car, 
fairly wealthy couple, I believe. We drove out to the house where the adoptive mother and father lived. And this is what's sort of interesting and sticks in my head. We wound up going out onto this screened-in patio, and the adoptive mother brings out drinks for us, and we're sitting there. And she brings out a book with photographs, and she starts showing photographs of the boy. And at one moment, the mom, the grandmom, starts to look, and she sees a picture, and she says, oh, he looks just like, and she starts to cry. And her husband starts to cry. And the PI starts to cry. And it was just... It was, it was just, it was a moment. But she said, if your daughter would like to see where he's buried, I can give you the, the location that's local. And it turned out was within 90 minutes of where the client lived. And it was a really interesting case. And I believe the year was 2003 that I did that case because I just came across maybe about six months ago, a card that she sent me that the grandmother sent me. And she said, thank you for helping us close this window or something. I can't remember the Mm -hmm. the full wording, but Mm -hmm. thank you for, helping us close this. And I thought that's way cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Doug, Doug, let me interrupt for a second. We need to take just a quick break. I almost forgot that we have to do our commercials in the middle of a show. So (laughs) let's be right back and uh, we'll go on (laughs) with the case. All right. Thank, Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I'm talking today with Doug Winston, a private investigator from New York, Florida, and California, but now in California. One of the things that private investigators always do when they get together over a cup of coffee is they talk about their cases, and that's what Doug and I are doing today. So, uh, so Doug, you were just talking about feeling so gratified when you could bring closure to a family who knew they had a child, a grandchild out there someplace, but didn't know where. And uh, so that that's a great story. I know. it's um, <clears throat> It doesn't always have to be a crime case or um, it's, it's about bringing justice to the client. And that's what good PIs can do. And so that's why, again, I love what I do and I've done it now for 54 years and X number of months. So have you done other adoption cases as well? I have. I have done several. I, I don't do a lot of them because I have a um, particular paragraph that I put into my engagement agreement. I had a young gentleman, maybe 30, 35 years old, several years ago, wanted me to find his father. And I wound up going to the um, to the the mother's house um, where where the father would have lived. And I knocked on the door, and I told the woman who came to the door who I was, what I was looking at. And I will never forget, she turned around in back of her looking in fear that her husband was not there. And she said to me, I never told my husband or anyone that I had this child. And so at that point, I had to tell the client that, that she does not want to let him make a connection. Mm -hmm. But what I did put into my engagement agreement from then on was a paragraph that said, if the subject does not want to connect with the client, the client understands that that may happen, but that I will attempt a three-way phone call and the client could then pitch his own story. And I've done that a few times. Um, sometimes the parent would say yes, sometimes no. But I've also lost clients because they'll go, no, I, I, I want to find out who my dad is or, or who this was. And as I saw that woman's face, as I stood in the door, I thought, you know what? The client has paid me. He's got certain rights, but so does the mom. And I've been on three-way phone calls where they were just not able to get 
the client was just not able to get what they want on that three-way phone call. Yeah, which is so you know, which is so hurtful. It is. It is. It um, is. But, but could be ex- hurtful to the to somebody who didn't know that thirty years earlier what she had done was going to come back with a PI standing at her door. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's um, well. And I don't. Exact- I don't do a lot of those. I I, I do a, maybe one or two of those a year, if that. It's exactly why a third party needs to reach out instead of the adoptee Absolutely. or the person themselves because you never know what somebody's going to say when they're shocked. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're right. Anyway, so, that's, that's, that's one type of work. I, I'm very lucky in that I do a lot of things like accident reconstruction as well. I took the accident reconstruction course back in 1980. And so I do that for attorney clients. Um, just a mixed bag. I, I just enjoy doing a mixed bag. I enjoy doing the um, talking with the people at the Cali meetings and talking about, you know, what what stuff is good to know and what, and, and I guess what PIs should do um, in certain cases, and I, I, I like sharing the expertise. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, Doug, we have about probably 10 minutes left. What other mm-hmm. significant case do you remember that you could talk about? Oh, golly. There are, there are a good number of them. I've done, again, on the Criminal defense side, I, I'll tell you what I have done. I do a lot of product liability cases hmm. for attorneys, and I do them with one thing kind of in my mind that the attorneys don't always pick up on, and that is third parties. And I remember a case about five or six years ago where there was a, I'm here in California, there was a worker in a factory that was working on a machine that um, he got too close to a blade and lost a good portion of one of his hands. And the product liability case was set up and I went out to look at the, to look at the machine and talk with whoever would talk to me. And I found that there was no guard, or the guard had been removed to make it easier and to let them do more pieces per hour. And what I found out, Francie, this is the interesting part. I found out that the company had hired a maintenance company to come out to do the work on that machine to keep it lubed and whatever. And they were approved by the manufacturer. And so I was able to get some of their reports. The attorney actually got them through subpoena. And we wound up, the attorney wound up, naming the maintenance company, which had a $2 million insurance policy as an additional defendant. If somebody hadn't gone 
and looked at the machine and found out what the machine was all about, that third party would never have come up. And so one of the things I like is using my sort of brain to find third parties for clients. I do it on accident cases. I will drive to a scene. Many, and I won't say many PIs, but, but some PIs, will go to to look at an intersection on Google and say, okay, this is what I need to know to tell the attorney. But if I go out and I find that there was a fatal accident and driver A went through a stop sign, I will go and take a look at that. And what I have found, I found this in a case eight, nine years ago, maybe, that there was a tree whose leaves had covered the stop sign completely, owned by the city. The tree was on city-owned property. The attorney had no clue that it was city-owned, no clue, based on a Google picture, that the stop sign was completely covered. But the attorney then tried to bring in the city And unfortunately, I don't know if you know this or not, you probably do, there is a statute on how quickly you need to doe in a city Mm. or a government Mm -hmm. agency. Right. And he was way past the time to do that. And I don't know that he ever told the client that, but that's what I love doing is is finding the third parties where they exist. And this is why I have the amount of work that I have. I totally agree with you, Doug. It doesn't matter what case it is, whether it's a civil case or a criminal case or a product or even workers comp, you have to go to where it happened. Because for one thing, if you read about it, you have a picture in your mind. I I like it. Something like, uh, reading a book and seeing the movie. Yep. It's, it looks much different, much differently when you see it in person. There's, you're, there's, you're so right, because if you, you pick up things that were not seen before, mm. and, and the attorney who represents the, the plaintiff uh, had no clue about. So... That I do, and I enjoy that part of it. Um, luckily, I'm I'm very blessed in having enough work that if I'm in L.A. and I'm working a case and I actually have all of my emails come to my phone because if I'm sitting um, at somewhere downtown L.A. and I wind up getting a case in um, a new case which requires field work somewhere in Pasadena, I'm saving the client a ton of money and mileage by just going over there and looking at what I need to look at. So it's, it's, that's part of the efficiency of what makes me a more efficient um, private investigator. Well, smartphones have changed the life of private investigators everywhere. I think, (laughs) because I think we all do that. You You are so right about that. You are so right. But, um, but it's, it, it is. It's a changing. It's a changing world for PIs. It is. It's hard to keep up. It's hard to keep up with the technology. Uh, I know. 
but it's something worth doing um, because I, I like to tell my attorney clients in the criminal defense stuff, I say, many of them don't read. I mean, the, the things in a criminal case are huge. The, the paperwork is huge. But I tell every client, I say, I don't charge you to read. Send me papers. Send me more. Send me everything to read. I'll never charge you to read. And what I tell them in the criminal defense side is nobody can find the Brady violation like I can. And I've done that. I've done that in numerous cases. Um, Why don't you explain what a Brady violation is? Okay, well, a, a Brady violation is where the prosecution has not provided information that they have to defense counsel. And they are obligated to do that under the law. I believe it's, I'm, I'm going, I'm stretching my memory here. It might be Brady versus the state of Washington, I think. I may be wrong about that, but... Um, I think it's I think Maryland. Brady it? versus okay. Mar- Maryland. Good yeah. memory. Good memory. Thank you. Okay. And um, and I read. And, and what I read, and this is something a PI should, should practice. I, I read the documents. And if on page two they say, and so-and-so said this... And then I get to page 34 and it says, and he said this, and they are completely different. I pick up on that. That's something that I'm very blessed to have in my brain. But I will tell the attorney, we have a potential Brady violation here. And then in most cases, they will let me work the case and I will find if that's true. I had a, I had a murder case back in New Jersey many, many years ago where I found at a coroner's office down in, it was in North Carolina, I believe, where they had sent x-rays of the murder victim to the sheriff's department and never disclosed that there were things on the x-ray that would have been helpful to the defense. And it, it was a weird case because... I met with the client and three attorneys in Trenton State Prison, where the appeal was working, and it turned out that the attorneys said, wow, that's interesting, we're going to put it before the judge. And it was the same judge that had found the defendant guilty, and I said, no, you don't want to put this in front of the same judge. And here's a PI telling three attorneys in front of the client, no, you don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. They did go and put it in front of the same judge, mm-hmm. and the judge said, I find nothing here, and the conviction right. stood, and kind of broke my heart because that was material that was a Brady violation that should have resulted at least in a review, a case review, but so, the attorneys so it, convinced and that the was, client... No. That was on appeal? It was on an appellate case. Yeah, it was an appellate case I worked for, oh gosh, probably probably three or four years. And um, I, the client was a rather wealthy individual, was charged 
with being involved in the murder of his wife. And there were additional defendants that were involved, but the one individual was my client. And it was a fairly prominent case. But here I found something that was a clear Brady violation, and they wanted to stick it in front of the same judge that had found him guilty. You know, um, I believe, I, I, may, I may be wrong, but I believe that if the judge, the original sentencing judge is available, that it, at least in California, it goes back to the same judge. Well, let me tell you what I found, being the PI that I am. Thank you for, thank you for bringing that up. I, I will tell you, I read, and what I found in um, the regulations was that, actually, what I found as information was that the judge and the prosecuting attorney had gone to law school together. Uh, uh-huh. And I said to the attorneys sitting in this, sitting in this, uh, not cell, but in a very large cell area, there were like five chairs, a client, and I think three attorneys and me. And I said, I told them that. And they said, no, no, no. And what I found was that that could have been, there was case law that said that may be enough for Mm. the judge to be um, I'm trying to remember the word to be, um, yeah, a conflict of interest to be changed to be, yeah, to be changed and, and, and to put it before a different judge. And so PIs don't, I think maybe don't normally do that, but it's like, that's, I said, you know what, this is, this is justice. This is what this guy needs. Yeah. For sure. Whether he's guilty or not, it's a Brady violation. And the yeah. deal is, it should have come before a different judge, but it didn't. And I wound up going to see that client every year when I would go back to New Jersey two or three times. And he passed away in prison about five years ago, I think. But wow. Interesting. Yeah. You know, Doug, we are, we are at the end of our hour. Uh, I love talking to you and sharing stories. I appreciate you being on the show today. I hope you have a very happy new year. And for all of you, happy new year to you as well. Here's to a better 2022. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler, and thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 